been uh, talking about the, um, the resurrection, how that we are <clears throat> justified by the resurrection of Christ, the importance of that, <clears throat> and realizing that in our lives, how that it is through the resurrection that you and I are made right with God. Without a resurrection, we are not made right with God. Uh, you know, the cross started the path, but it was the resurrection that finished it. Our Savior is alive, and it now sets at the right hand of the Father on high. Amen? And I shared with you last week how that the high priest in the Old Testament, how that he would have on his right hand one person, on his left hand one person, and the person on his left hand would be the one that would declare the condemnations for people's violations of the law, and the one on the right hand would be the other priest, would be the one that would declare the, the vindication and justification of the person who was, con, who was brought under the law. And Jesus didn't sit down at the left hand of the Father to bring condemnation. He sat down at the right hand of the Father to bring justification. Amen? Just as if we'd never sinned in the sight of God. And so it's so powerful. But I think a lot of times what happens is as we look at the resurrection, we can miss that really this was a really challenging thing for the disciples i mean you know nobody expected the lord to rise from the dead nobody did um the the women that went to the tomb we talked about this last week how they went with spices basically to just continue the burial process for him so they expected to they were more worried about how to get the stone away from the the tomb than anything they weren't really thinking well we'll go see what's happened when they came back and told the, they had seen the Lord, that, or they were told that Jesus wasn't there, that he was resurrected, that it was then that Peter and John took off running. John outran him, got to the tomb. Peter went down inside. But they're still wondering what's going on. You know, they, they see that the body's gone. And, of course, the rest of the apostles come along. And I know on TV sometimes it's like, you know, Jesus rose from the dead and... He appears to the disciples right away and they're all rejoicing and everything is really awesome and the church is birthed. But in reality, Jesus doesn't really show up to the disciples and all the women till that night. And uh, they don't, he doesn't appear in the room with them, in a closed room, because, you know, they're, these guys, they're scared. I'm, I mean, truthfully, they are really scared. They're scared uh, because the Jews are, you know, they're thinking the Jews are coming after us. The priests are going to come after us. They're going to, we're going to end up getting crucified too. So they're hiding. And the Lord shows up in the room and appears to them. And, you know, as he appears to them, you know, they're still wondering what's going on. They, they, they see it, but they, you know, they just can't, part of them can't believe it. And in John 20, it says that the Lord said to them, hey, guys, reach out your hands and touch the prints in my hand and reach in my side and see that it's me and then it says that they rejoice so he basically said look if you if you think I'm just a ghost I'm not a ghost I'm a real person I'm standing here I'm resurrected I had told you that was what was going to happen he had also appeared to a couple of other guys that evening um, on the road to Emmaus and and uh, you know they didn't even know they were talking to the Lord until he broke bread with them later on and then they go, man, our hearts burned within us while this guy was talking and we couldn't figure it out. So there's a lot of um, what we want to call veiled things that are going on here that they really don't see. They don't understand what's really happening. Now, the Lord appears to them on that Sunday, and then we have no record again of him appearing to them until eight days later. I want you to think about that, all right? 
So it wasn't like he resurrected and he's like, hey, dudes, I'm going to hang out with you now for the next couple of, you know, for the, until I ascend on high, which would be 40 days later. And uh, so he did not do that. He did not stay with them. And actually, when Monday came, they had seen him the night before, but that was it. They didn't get to see him again until eight days later. Well, as you know, the story is, talks about the testimony of this is that Thomas was not with them when the Lord showed up on Sunday night. Now, we don't know where Thomas was. We don't know what was going on in his life that he didn't stay with them. Maybe he was hiding somewhere else, you know, just because of the fear of the Jews. But when we get to verse um, 24, it said, Now Thomas, called the twin, or Didymus in the Greek language, one of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, Well, we saw the Lord. He appeared. And so he said to him, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I'm not going to believe it. I'm not going to believe it. And you know, a lot of people, they, they, they label Thomas as doubting Thomas. Thomas isn't doubting. He's not believing He's, he's saying, I don't believe this. Now, remember, he's basically just said to the, because he gets a bad rap in all this, he's basically just said what Jesus said to the disciples because they didn't believe it either until he said, put your fingers in the print of my hand, you know, touch my side and you'll see that I'm alive. So Thomas is responding and saying, look, I'm not going to believe unless I get the same experience you guys have had. He said, and unless I get to do it, I will not. That's a pretty strong statement, wouldn't you agree? I will not believe. I will not believe. So he's not doubting. He's not questioning anything here. He's saying, I just am not going to believe this. So the week goes on. Thomas has got a whole week here of things that are happening in his life, and the disciples have a whole week of things that are happening, and it says in after eight days his disciples were again inside and thomas was with them this time and jesus came and the door being shut and he stood in the midst and said peace to you and the reason the door was shut because they're still scared so these guys are really staying incognito here they're not getting out in public they're hiding away thomas is now with them and the lord stands in their midst and says peace to you and then he looks at thomas and he says, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. And notice how he says, do not be unbelieving, but believing. So he didn't say, don't doubt anymore. Let this answer your doubts. He's saying, stop being an unbeliever. Now be a believer. You wanted to see this, now you get to see it. And I don't think the Lord was rebuking him. I think the Lord was just challenging him and saying, look, I'm going to meet you where, you know, this is the cool thing about Jesus is, is in our, our understanding of God. He meets people where they're at, not where they're not at. This is what Thomas, you know, Thomas wanted, he had, wanted to have an experience here of being able to see and experience what the disciples, I mean, you know, you got to figure in that eight days or seven days or, you know, however long, that period of time was that he was talking to these other disciples and they said yeah we saw we saw the prince in his hands we saw you know that he had this in his side to, where they had stuck the spear we experienced all of that and he says well that's what i want 
I want to experience that too. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. He did not reach over and touch, you know, his side or his hands. He just said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed and yet have believed let's pray father thank you lord as we come before your word today lord god we know that you are the living word in this place you're alive your presence is here your power is here your purpose is here and your perspective is here so lord we lord we don't just look at these as words from a book but we look at them, Lord, as life-giving words that your Holy Spirit makes alive to us. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So, you know, we're a week away now from Easter, and this would be that time when the disciples, when he showed up, the Lord showed up. Imagine, you know, if you were writing this whole story, how many times you'd want the Lord to show up. I mean, you wouldn't want him, like, showed up on Sunday, don't see him now for a week, right? And, I mean, you'd want to see him. And I'm sure Thomas is really going through this throughout the week. He's struggling with his faith. One of the things that we can learn from this account, and I think we learn it from other accounts in the Scripture, is that despair breeds unbelief. When people are in despair, it can breed unbelief in their life. I don't know if you've ever been in despair. Despair, just feeling like there's no way out, there's no hope. Things are, you know, pain can make you feel despair. It can make you feel empty and and alone uh, being alone can be very caused a lot of despair there are a lot of people in the bible that went through despair went through terrible despair in their lives um you know in the book of mark chapter 4 verse 35 we talk about the disciples um on the same day when evening had come jesus had said to them let us cross over the other side and when they had left the multitude they took him along in the boat as he was and other little boats were also with him, and great, a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling, but he was in the stern asleep on a pillow, and they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? I want you to hear the despair in their voices there. They're saying, Look, you don't, do you care about us? We're all good. He didn't say, Don't you? They didn't say, Lord, don't you care about your life? Lord, they said, don't you care about me? I mean, do you care about me? Do you, guys, do you really care about us here? And he said, he arose and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind stopped and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you guys so fearful? How, it is, how is it that you have no faith? Notice again, they ended up in unbelief. They're not in doubt. They're not doubting what he said. They're they were they thought this was it they thought this was it you know it's like the time I, I forget what country I was flying into it might have been I can't remember which one it was but we were in terrible turbulence and man the plane is if you've ever been on an airplane that's having bad turbulence it it's all over the place I mean and you know you're you're shaking and you're like looking at you're like looking at the stewardess or uh, flight attendants excuse me just making sure if they have a panic look then you maybe it's time to panic okay so like I'm like doing all my things that I do on the plane Lord I thank you the angels around about the airplane and and uh so the captain comes on this this literally happened 
The captain comes on and he goes, ladies and gentlemen, we're experiencing some turbulence. Oh, no. And he went, he was gone. That was it. That was the last thing he said. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. You know, I'm, I'm thinking of my wife and my kids, and I'm thinking this is it. And I'm like, man, I go in. You know, I love it that we can pray in tongues, man. Because when you don't know how to pray, that's the time, man, you just start praying in the Spirit. I don't know what I'm saying, but it's necessary for whatever I'm going through right now. So my brain has gone on tilt. Has your brain ever gone on tilt in a bad situation? Man, I mean, it was terrible. So, and we, obviously I lived through it, so I'm here today. But, you know, and it got under control, and the captain came back on. He says, I apologize, ladies and gentlemen. You know, because you could hear the, when he said, oh, no, you could hear that, bam, 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 that warning buzzer that was going off in the cockpit. Good times, right? <laughs> but see, despair, when it hits, see, because when we're in despair, when we feel like there's no way, it, it can create unbelief in our lives, and it can put us into a place where, we become fearful. Jesus is saying, look, guys, why don't you have any faith? What, what's going on? And it says, and they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Instead of going, praise God, thank you, Lord, for saving our lives, they're more upset about wondering who this is. <laughs> who, are, who is this guy? In John 11 and verse 21, we looked at this a couple last week, or two weeks ago, excuse me, John 11, 21. Martha said to Jesus when he showed up at, after Lazarus had died, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. My brother would not have died. In Acts chapter 27 in verse 20, it talks about how that um, Paul on the ship, as they're traveling across the, the Mediterranean, and I mean, things are bad. It, they've gone days, I mean, you know, in this storm and uh, the the ship is tossed everywhere and it's dark it never is light it's just completely dark and it's a scary if you've ever been you know it's those moments when you're you know you're not on land and you're out there and it begins to look like we're not going to get back we're not going to get home it's things are not going to turn out well and so Paul is sitting there on the deck of the ship while the rains are raging, the storm is raging around them. And it says in verse 20, and now, Acts 27, 20, and now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and there was no small tempest beat on us. <laughs> Just, wow, this thing was bad. All hope that we should be saved was finally given up. All hope that we would be saved. Now, he goes on, and we won't look at this right now, but he goes on, and he says, look, but an angel of the Lord appeared and told me that everything is going to be all right. So, you know, even in the midst of our despair, God can speak to us and give us clarity and direction. But we cannot allow our despair to turn into unbelief, where we're saying, well, I guess this is it. I guess this is the end. I guess it's over. Because at that point, when we have allowed despair to, despair to get us and grab hold of us, we lose all hope. And we are people that are created to, have, to be hopeful in life, to have a future. God, that's God's intent for every one of us. And God's plan is in the adversity. Now listen, this is really going to be powerful to help you. 
God's plan is in whatever adversity is not that we get into despair, but that our faith is forged in that adversity. That when things get difficult, that's the time that we really have to start understanding how our faith is at work in these situations. That we're not alone. That it's not the end. This is not the final word. And that God has not said it's over. It's not over till God says it's over. Can I get an amen? 1 Peter 1.7 says that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what happens in adversity, and I don't know what you're going through in your life right now, what kinds of adversity. Sometimes you have adversity come at all different directions, and, and you know, it can be financial, family, it can be physical, can be, you know, it could be your marriage, it can be your, I mean, just all kids, everything. It could be all at one time. Sometimes it's just one thing, uh, you know. But here's the thing. In the midst of that, we're not to allow ourselves to enter in despair because despair will put us in a place of unbelief where we're not believing. What we are to do is to look at adversity and say, okay, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to become stronger in this adversity. I don't hear a lot of believers say that when they're going through tough times. I'm going to come out of this even though my faith is being tested in the fire, I'm coming out to praise and glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. What I hear believers say is things like, well, maybe it's God's will that I go through this right now. Or maybe, maybe I've sinned and I've missed God and he's doing this in my life. Or maybe God's punishing me for something. That's all ridiculous nonsense and it's not biblical. It's not biblical. When we face adversity in life, adversity comes because we are in a system that is still not redeemed yet. The world is not redeemed. And as long as we are here, we are in this world, but we are not of this world. Our connection is to the heavenly realm, not to this earthly realm. Amen. And our strength and our power does not come from the earth. It comes from what is the resources that are here for us. Our resources go far beyond and exceed what is the natural eye and man can produce in this earth. Your faith becomes genuine. And listen, there is no time to find out how genuine your faith is except when you are in adversity. That's when you find out what you really believe. I mean, I've heard people spout off all kinds of stuff about what they believe. But man, when adversity comes, when it's difficult, say, well, is God causing adversity so I can find? No, he is not causing the adversity. But I tell you what, there are times God will lead you into adversity. He'll lead you into it. And in that midst of that adversity, your faith becomes fortified if you handle it the right way. If not, you'll end up in despair, which will lead to unbelief. I know it's hard for us. You know, I've talked to people that, that have said, I'm an atheist. And so they'll say, well, I'm an atheist. I, I, don't, I don't believe in God. I don't believe there is a God. I said, and how did you come to that conclusion? They'll say, well, I had prayed. Now watch this. I prayed and I asked God to do something and he didn't do it. That's what they'll say. Or they'll say, well, there's so much suffering in the world 
I don't know, you know, if there was a truly a loving God, he would stop all the suffering in the world. And so that's how you're basing that there is no God because there's some, what if I told you, and then of course you begin to respond back to them and, uh, and tell them, look, what if I told you that God has provided a way to end all suffering? And give perfect peace that passes all understanding. Now, they might come back and say, well, I don't believe that. Well, you know, then, then, you're, then you're stuck with your... Saying I don't believe in something means you believe in something. Right? And we talked about this last week a little bit. You know, to say that, you know, like the guy that uh, the, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Well, he believes something. That's why he's a fool, because he believes there's no God. So he has a faith system. It's just not right. <laughs> Is that too deep? All right. Faith is forged in adversity. So you're going through something right now. You're like, oh my goodness, this is so hard. I'm fighting through. I'm dealing with all this difficulty in my life. I'm dealing with bad reports. Well, in the midst of all of that, you're, what you want to do, if you handle it the right way, is you become stronger through it. Now, you can whine and complain through it, or you can get stronger through it. Now, I go to the gym four or five times a week and work out, and let me tell you, none of it is fun. None of it. But let me tell you what's not fun. Arthritis is not fun. Weakness is not fun. Back problems are not fun. They're, I mean, if you've ever had back issues, they're not. And look, when you're getting older, you've got to take care of your body. And that doesn't mean don't do anything. That means you've got to make it do stuff it don't want to do so later on you can do stuff that you need to do. That's really good, Pastor. Thank you. No, man, I, I don't have fun. I'm, I'm suffering. I'm going through difficulty. And when I do, though, I recognize that it is producing a much more stronger Richard Jolliffe who will be able to do the things that he needs to do. And uh, so I got to take care of what I've got. And the only way to take care of what I've got is feed it the right stuff and punish it. <laughs> Make it work. Make it do stuff it doesn't want to do. So, your faith is forged in adversity. I love the line, in, uh, and I think this, it came to me. It, you know, I love the Indiana Jones movies. I love all of them. And, uh, you know, the, the one about the last crusade is probably my favorite. But, you know, one of the questions that Jones deals with in the last crusade is, is that the, the, the Nazi leader looks at him when his dad is dying and he, you know, he says, the cup of Christ is the only thing that will save your, save your father. And he, he looks, at, and Jones is like, no, no. And the guy asks him the question. He says, it's time for you to ask yourself, what do you believe, Mr. Jones? What do you believe? See, in the midst of your adversity, that's where you have to start asking yourself, what do I believe in this situation? What do I believe? Now, here's the thing. Okay, so next point. We talk about how despair can lead to unbelief. Unbelief will begin to cause us to set conditions for God. Notice what Thomas, what Thomas did here. The, the other disciples therefore said to him, we've seen the Lord, and he said to him, unless I get this, unless it happens this way, I will not believe. And so what happens is, is that unbelief puts us in a place where we're now telling God how things have to be. Now, Jesus meets him where he's at here. 
But I want you to realize here that you can really miss it big time by putting conditions on how God needs to do stuff. How God needs to do stuff. Someone asked me the other day, they said, uh, Pastor, I'm praying I need, a, I need something to happen and I need it to happen by 11 o'clock. Is that wrong to ask God? And I said, well, I, I don't have a problem with it. <laughs> Go ahead. I said, Put, release your faith and say, and, Jesus, and she, this person wrote me back, texted me later and said, you know, it, it was gone by 1030. The problem was gone. I said, well, let's rejoice. But, you know, that doesn't always happen that way. You don't always. And a lot of times when we're younger believers and we don't know a whole lot, we do put a lot of conditions on God to do things. But unbelief, if we're not careful in our lives, especially for the mature believer, you begin to set conditions for God. You begin to tell God how he needs to do stuff. You know, Naaman the leper, I think, is a great example of that. Here, this guy, he's got leprosy and he's dying from it. And a little girl tells him that, look, go down, if you go, you know, you go down to, to talk to this prophet, this prophet could tell you, he could, he could heal you. And so Naaman goes down. Now, Naaman's a big shot, man. He's a big warrior. He's tough. He's dying, but he's with leprosy. He's unclean according to the Jewish law, but he, he goes down to talk to Elisha the prophet. And he goes up and he knocks on the door and he says, hey, uh, I'm here for healing. And you think, man, that is really awesome. Well, instead of Elisha coming out to pray for him, he sends out his servant and says, hey, here's what he said to do. Uh, he's busy right now, so why don't you just go jump in the river seven times and you'll be made well. Well, Naaman, I mean, he gets angry. I mean, he's ticked. And, uh, and if you look at, uh, this is in 2 Kings 5.11. I think I have it up there on the screen. But Naaman became furious. And he went away and he said, well, indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal this leprosy. I mean, he had this big, you know, this way he thought all this was going to happen. He's putting all these conditions on the situation because of his lack of unbelief. He's like, and he's going to wave his hand and every... I mean, it's a big production, right? I mean, we're not just talking about he's not going to just say, you're healed. He's going to do all these things, right? And none of it happened. None of it. The little girl, of course, tells him, look, if he'd asked you to do something hard, would you have done it? Why don't you just go do what he said to do? And he does, reluctantly. And he gets healed. The seventh time when he comes up, he's miraculously healed. You know, some point in there, you know, you're thinking he's going, going down, going up, going down, going up, going down, going up, and he's probably thinking, man, this is dumb. Right? Why am I doing this? I'm naming. I'm important. Well, that's the problem right there. And so he goes down, and then the seventh time he comes up, but then he looks at himself and sees that he's made whole. See, we have to be careful when we get into unbelief. If we don't stay in a place of faith in our lives, what happens is we start setting conditions on God. Faith is based on beliefs that are rooted deep in the character and the words of God. Now, I want to read that again to you. I know it's up there on your screen. Faith is based on beliefs that are rooted deep in the character and the words of God. John 15, 7 in the Amplified Version says, If you live in me 
and abide vitally united to me and my words remain in you and you continue to live in your hearts you'll ask whatever you will and it shall be done for you now, I want you to listen to what he said abide vitally united to me I think one of the dilemmas that we deal with in our word of faith movement is is that we tend to move the word above the God that spoke the word we have to be careful with this because we think well if I memorize scripture I'll be healed or if I if I just take the word if I just read the word enough if I spend enough time in the word if I if I just keep repeating what the scripture says then I'll be made well well that's not true what is true is is that if that word is leading you to a belief in the character and the nature of the one who spoke that word then your miracle will manifest because see it's not just about the words that are spoken it's about the person that spoke them it's about the person who spoke them the person that gave them well well pastor i believe i believe that i believe that you know i believe that it, it, it it's it's about jesus yeah but do we put that in our, our heart and in our mind that what I'm declaring over myself is what Jesus Christ has declared over my life. That when I say things like he's, uh, that he sent his word and he healed me and delivered me from all my destruction. That Isaiah where, where it says that, he's, um, that he bore my sicknesses and he carried away my diseases. When I read passages that say that, that I will lay hands on the sick and I'll cast out devils and I'll, in his name and that I'll nothing will deadly will harm me and that i can go forth and and speak in new tongues do i take all of that that that's a person that's telling me this not just a book that's telling me that then i'm not just reading a story here and memorizing passages from it but i'm actually receiving the revealed word of god who is revealing god to me the revelation of jesus christ he said, look, if you want to walk in this earth having things happen for you, in John 15, 7, he says, you have to live in me. You have to abide vitally united to me and my words remain in you because if you're abiding, if that word is remaining in you and you are abiding vitally in him, you're allowing that to be more of an interaction between you and Christ who is a living savior, not a distant God, but whose presence is here with us. That's why the Holy Spirit is here. Jesus said the spirit is given to you to reveal me to you so that you will have a revelation of who I am you'll have a revelation and an understanding that's what that's what Thomas wanted was this revelation of a resurrected savior it's not so much as you and I being con convinced by the scriptures of a set of propositions as it's being committed to a person the person of the Lord Jesus Christ the person of the Lord Jesus not just his ideas but the person the person to draw intimately and to be close you know Paul and all of his powerful experiences he had in the and and things that he went through with the Lord the Lord appearing to him on the side of the road all that that took place and Jesus revealing himself to him and the angel and all the stuff that happened in speaking to him and here's what he says that I could know him that I could know him I mean that was really the prayer and that's really to be the prayer of the people it's not about us just you know encanting scripture over our lives to get miracles 
Are you with me? Your Bible is not a book of spells that you can declare over yourself. Your Bible is things that God has directly said to you, for you, that reveal the Lord Jesus Christ to you. How do you believe the words of someone if you don't believe the character of that person? How do you believe the words of someone you don't know? You can only assume they're telling you the truth. Jesus doesn't want you to assume he's telling you the truth. Jesus wants to reveal himself to you so you will know that he is who he says he is. He has what he says he has, and he will do exactly what he said he would do. I thought I'd get a better amen on that. You know, when we think about the disciples, and I think this is what happens to us as believers because of this thing I'm talking about right now. The disciples did not long for heaven the disciples longed to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who they loved. They didn't talk about, oh man, I'm so glad someday I'm going to heaven. Aren't you glad, Thomas? Aren't you glad, Peter? Aren't you glad? No, they wanted to be with the Lord because that's who they knew. That was what they, they wanted to, they, they, they were wanting to be with the one who had brought the truth to them, that had brought the light to them. I wonder in our lives how much that, we want to draw closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. That we look to him and say, Lord, reveal yourself in me. Reveal your life to me. Be as real to me as the very life that I live myself. We surrender in our lives to the risen Savior, not to our doubts, not to our unbelief. And I love this because Thomas, in John 20, 28, and we read it earlier, said to the Lord, my Lord and my God, my Lord that's surrender he's saying you're my lord and my god you're my lord and my god and i surrender to you completely and i think that's what god calls us to that we might as the amplified version says of that passage in philippians philippians that i might paul saying i might intimately and more deeply know him know him see there are people we could talk about right and say well i know them i know them there's a difference between knowing someone and knowing about someone big difference right i know sharon jolliffe i know her not just in the biblical physical sense i know her mind like she's been gone all weekend she went on this little trip and but i she's still here there are things i think about buying she's still here are you do you all understand there are things that need done at the house she's still she's here right why because i know her i think about things when i go to do them what would sharon say what would Sharon do? See, because I am determined to know her, to know and understand more deeply and intimately. I'm putting the time in to know that, to know her thoughts, how she thinks about. There are other people in my life that are like that as well, that I know them. Dr. Mark Barkley, I know him. I have, you know, I've laid on the floor in his hotel room and asked him a gazillion questions. I want to know. I want to know his thoughts. I want to know his mind. I want to know how he came to the conclusion that's what he's why he does this see that's a deep intimacy you do not know someone just because you read their book 
Are you with me? You do not just know Jesus because you read the Bible. Or you prayed a prayer. You might be saved. I mean, you probably are. Because your name's written down in the Lamb's book of life if you call on the name of the Lord. But there is a greater purpose that God has called us to. And Jesus wants you to experience him in your life in the fullest capacity. Why be cheated from what Jesus has provided for you? That you might deeply and intimately know him. His mind, his thought. To abide in him and let his words abide in you. Stand up with me if you would. Thank you, Father. Lord, as we come before you today, we, Lord, thank you for all of this becomes real because your Holy Spirit makes it real. It's not because, Lord, we just somehow figure it all out on our own. It's because your Holy Spirit reveals to us the truth. Lord, um, your word says that you have given to us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that we would know what is the hope of our calling and what are the riches of the glory of your inheritance that is in the saints. What is the exceeding, Lord God, abundance that you have given to us in Christ? Father, my prayer today for these folks, Lord God, is that, Lord, that you would speak to them, that you would, Lord, open their hearts and their minds, Lord God, to the truth of your word, and that they would see you, Lord God, as you have declared yourself in the word, in Jesus' name. Be real to us, Lord God, in all that we do. And we cry out just as Thomas did, my Lord and my God. Amen. Chuck? Yeah?